Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Before we get started with this week's episode of A Little Wiser, I want to remind you that these mini episodes and our full All the Wiser episodes are brought to you by All the Happier. All the Happier is a new online digital class rooted in positive psychology. We take the inspiration and the lessons that you hear on the podcast and we partner them with the science of positive psychology to help you bring some of that goodness into your own life. So you can learn more about our course and our content on Instagram and our newsletter at allthehappier.com. Now for today's episode with my co-host, Christy Peterson. Hi, Christy. Hey, Kimmy. So we are going to talk about the episode we have not stopped talking about. Dr. Edie. (laughs) Since I recorded it a month ago. Because I can't talk about it, first of all, without grabbing my heart. Mm -hmm. And gosh, it is everything. And so, you know, with these new mini episodes, we have come up with sort of our own little format where we, you know, talk about the episode, some of our standout moments, maybe something behind the scenes, and then we pull out sort of a piece of science to look at. And you and I both struggled because this episode is just everything. I mean, sort of a it's sort of a mic drop moment in an interview. I mean, you she just has so much to offer. But for those of you who have not listened or haven't listened to the full episode, I had the great privilege, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to have a conversation with Dr. Edith Eager, fondly referred to as Dr. Edie, and she just turned 94. She survived the Holocaust, including Auschwitz, where she both of her parents were killed in the gas chamber the day she arrived, and she published her first book, a memoir at 90, her second at 93 during a global pandemic and is a mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, dancer, healer, psychologist, author, and possibly the most exceptional person I've ever had a conversation with, frankly. And her story, again, there's so many messages. So, you know, so much of her message is about the one thing we have control of, which is our minds, really, and the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and about the world around us, because she certainly had no control of anything happening around her in the midst of the Holocaust. And there is so many things that make her, her, you know, first of all, her zest and joy of life, Mm. which was contagious. I mean, we shared on Instagram a video of her doing a high kick at her 90th birthday. Inviting everyone else to come onto the dance floor. Yes. As well. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to join her. And she's just humor and optimism, but also, you know, she talked about grief and rage and forgiveness, just really feeling all of the feelings of what it means to be a, a human being. I was just completely blown away by her. But what were some of the key 
moments or takeaways for you, Christy? Oh, well, I'm just so excited you asked me that question, Kimmy, because I have so many. I actually am just looking at my notes that I wrote down while I was hiking while listening to the interview and also driving, finished it. And I would pull over either on my hike or my drive to write down these like little nuggets of wisdom. And so I called it my, this is my ode to the post-it note wisdom of Dr. Edie. And there is so much. I loved that she called you Kimmy girl. I loved that she talked about your inner like the thought life and letting go and not needing approval. I love that she touched on aging and how she's like, you know, I'm older. I can get a little preachy with the kids. I've earned it. They need to watch Karate Kid and don't smoke pot. (laughs) I mean, it just, (laughs) there was just so many parts. I mean, I, when she talked about her cherished wound, that the experience of the Holocaust is what she calls her cherished wound. There was such ownership and a change of storyline about this thing that had happened to her and the way that she shared it was just, it was like this mix of deep wisdom, but yet joy and levity and like somehow weaving in talking about her boobs and high kicks and just that like to, to be able to talk about difficulty, life, your work, growth, all of the things that she talked about the way that she did was just really incredible. Well, yeah. And so, gosh, the moment when she talked about her boobs in the interview, I was (laughs) just filled with laughter and obsessed, obsessed with her for a million reasons, that being just one. But, you know, she really did paint these pictures at Auschwitz where everything around her, right? This is the most horrific Mm -hmm. circumstances that one could possibly fathom, surrounded by death and evil And she fully knew, she fully realized, well, A, she said she leaned into curiosity Mm, yes, and who she was going to be in that moment. And she chose to be somebody filled with compassion, deeply compassionate, not only looking, thinking about her own suffering, but very much caring for those around her and helping support them. And the thing just in that moment too, is the compassion in which she talked about the guards too, and that she had this feeling of grace towards people who are doing really awful things. Yes. You know, she said that she gets the question a lot about where was God in the Holocaust? Where was God at Auschwitz? And she said, God was within me. And she searched every day, high and low, to find moments of love, to find moments of compassion, to find moments of forgiveness. And these are the things that saved her, I believe, that truly saved her. I mean, the fact that she came out alive 80 pounds is unfathomable. But these moments that now she tells, she's a wonderful storyteller, and she tells them with great levity and heart and lessons always, Mm -hmm. and the deep hunger they were experiencing, and that she would close her eyes and they would share recipes and they would talk about the exact pinch of paprika and what it smelled like and what it tastes like. So in her mind, they would find nourishment and storytelling. And then they, we keep referencing Edie's boobs, her, <laughs> <laughs> but she's the one who brought them to the table on the podcast that she had great power in her body. She had the body of a young 16-year-old dancer and these wonderful tatas. And so one <laughs> night they decided to dance in the dark. But all of these moments that were within her control, where she could find compassion, where she could create an experience, I mean, it was just really about the power of the mind and how it can change everything. Yeah. 
I remember when she said, actually, I wrote it down. If you can change your thinking, you can change your life. So I just, I, she really does demonstrate the power of our thought life and how much choice and agency and power we have over our thinking. We may not be able to control our circumstances. We may not be able to control what's happening to us, but we can control, or at least we have some ability. Yeah, I guess I would say we can control how we think about it and how we choose to approach the situation. And in that, there's great power. And it is not a, you know, for anybody who hasn't listened to the interview, this is not a, obviously, based on the fact that she lost her entire family in the Holocaust, her grandparents, her mother, her father, 90% of the people who lived within her village. This is not a rose-colored no. <laughs> version. Yeah. This is a woman who also believes deeply in grief and rage and in feeling to heal. And she said it was ultimately for years, she did not talk about her experience. It was when she started to feel the feelings and begin the process of healing and then eventually become a psychologist where it sort of all came into, where she was able to go back and look and extract the lessons that really allowed her to survive the Holocaust and then to build a beautiful life here in America is a real thought leader and just a icon, I think, just a true legend. I agree. I think that's a point well made is she wasn't glossing over the hardship. In fact, it was, that's just it. It's the way that she talked about the hardship, how she spoke about this incredibly difficult, unimaginable circumstances and how she related to it that I found to be just so insightful and encouraging and had me again, writing all those things down. It's the honesty. It was the honesty of the hardship, but also like the directness and the frankness about how difficult or how hard it was and the strategies that she used. And I'm sure that she she realizes that those are strategies upon reflection and upon her studying and her career and her life looking back, but the strategies that she used in order to make it through. And she actually said that. I, I, I wrote, I just am looking down again and she wrote, yes, and. And that's what I would say. Yeah, she's a yes, and. Yes, it was difficult. And here are some moments that I found great strength or that the suffering made me stronger. I love Dr. Edie. I love her too. <laughs> and she's just, she's powerful. I mean, she just, mm-hmm. at every turn, she said, victimization, that is a choice. It is not a choice I am willing to make. Yes. It was something that was, it does not define me. It was something that was done to me. Yes. Yes. But that is not, victimhood is not, she will not choose that as her story. That is, I hope you listened. And if you haven't, please do. I mean, if if you don't listen to the interview on this podcast, listen to Dr. Edie anywhere she speaks because her words, I just want them to reach everyone around the world. Me too. And I feel like there's something really special about hearing her voice. Yes. I really, I had read the interview, the transcript, and then there was just something really special about hearing her voice. And again, Kimmy girl, she's, <laughs> It was just really great to hear her voice too. So I think, I feel like that's an added layer to the experience too. But it did, you know, our intent for you, the listeners on these podcast mini episodes and between the long interviews is to focus on something that is at the heart or a piece of the interview and dive a little deeper. And so the one thing, Christy, you and I kept going back to is this notion of comparative suffering. So first I would love for you to explain what comparative suffering is And it's actually so relevant to this podcast because it's something that comes up again and again and again 
when I talk to people who are listeners. So first of all, for those who don't know, what is comparative suffering? So what is comparative suffering? Well, it's this, I feel like we sort of intuitively know what it is, but it was really helpful to go back and look at a definition, helpful for me. It's this the need to see our own suffering in light of another person's pain. So with this perspective, we start to, we sort of start to rank our own suffering and use it to, usually we use it to deny or give ourselves permission to feel. So meaning I am not entitled to feel pain, anger, or hurt because of my circumstances compared to Dr. Edie, who survived the Holocaust, or compared to, let's bring it more relevant present day, there is so much suffering that's happening in this world. And I think as a result, so often we don't give ourselves permission to feel what we in our everyday experience might be feeling because we're comparing that and we're comparing our experience with what we perceive to be the suffering of others and that we're not deserving of, or we feel guilty that we feel that, that we feel the pain. I think it's a really common thing and like something I've thought in my own head to realize how silly it is. It's like if you have a broken arm, you've gone through surgery and your bones are broken and you're, and I stub my toe really bad and it's bleeding and throbbing and I'm like, nope, yours, your pain is not real because it's a stubbed toe. It is not this person has. So you, you in fact have no pain. <laughs> You're not allowed to feel it. It's got is it's I don't yeah. know. But there's no winner. There's no winner at comparative suffering. When you use that example, I that's a something that uh, Lori Gottlieb, a therapist, she says there's no winner in comparative suffering. And just as you talk about that example, you know, there's like there isn't any benefit to you denying the fact that a stubbed toe really freaking hurts, and you're not actually helping the other person's broken leg, broken, whatever it was, it was by not allowing yourself to feel or be like, oh, that stub toe really hurts. Having friends and, you know, who've gone through things that are really, really difficult. Yeah. I was talking to, to you about this, Christy, when we talked about comparative suffering, I know my friend, Michelle, who's, you know, been on the podcast with her husband, Steve, who has ALS and Lou Gehrig's disease. When he was so sick, people stopped sharing any of their life, their close friends and family stopped telling them anything that was going on that was hard or difficult because in comparison, it felt silly, right? Yeah. Am I really going to call and say, you know, my kid's being bullied or whatever thing it may be because it seemed, well, gosh, that's so small and insignificant and that, you know, almost feel guilty or how could I even... I think it also then sort of robs people of the connection of showing up for one another, regardless of what the suffering is, whether it's big, small. So I I think at the end, it can also be a disservice in relationships. It does. It really, it can cut off that connection point. And actually it was interesting because I was thinking about it in our conversation earlier this week. And I was thinking, I kind of, kind of like knew I want to say intuitively why it was bad, but I really wanted to have a better understanding around it. And what Brene Brown says is that when we, why is it bad? And when we don't allow ourselves to feel, to feel that guilt, or we push it down, we really become more self-focused. And this doesn't leave a lot of space for empathy or compassion for the other person. So like we're now, instead of having that energy, putting that energy on, okay, this is hard. This is a hard moment for me. My newborn isn't sleeping or whatever it is. Instead of 
putting your energy towards just recognizing and feeling that we're pushing it down because it's compared to the next person. It's not as bad. And then as a result, we don't have a lot of space or compassion to be able to then offer it to the other person. So it's like suffering plus more suffering in the end. Yeah. And, but I mean, part of it, you know, when you, when you hear stories or you think of something, it's inspiring, right? To think of Dr. Edie going through what she was able to get through with her mindset, with her character, with her wisdom, with her strong sense of self. You know, it is really aspirational to look at these people who go through incredibly difficult things. So it's, I, I guess there's also some benefit. Yeah, it's an opportunity there. Yes. Yeah. No, I totally get what you're saying because I was thinking too, like, what are the benefits or why do we do this thing? And I, why do we compare ourselves? And that's like, boy, that could be a whole nother episode of why it is that we compare ourselves to others. But um, I think there's something to be said there that when we do see and listen to words of people who have survived these things, it can actually be quite hopeful and encouraging to us. Like it can be like, if this person can do it, I can do this thing. So I think that's what you're saying, that there can be some benefits or we're not saying never compare your circumstances to another. That's just not how we work or wired as humans, but that it can actually be helpful or, and you know, I I think that's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me personally, and this is not out of a textbook or based on science, it's just my instinct is that there is value and perspective, right? To say, gosh, wow, that really makes me think of how grateful I am for all, you know, of these things that are well. And well, you know, I was just, it's interesting because just as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, look, the common thread between both of those things is that you have to feel. So you can, if you're participating in this whole comparative suffering thing and you're shoving those feelings down, then you're not actually feeling the pain. That's not serving anyone. If you also don't ever allow yourself to say like, okay, or to gain perspective or feel like, all right, well, this this circumstance is hard, but I don't want to say like, but compared to this person, I'm better, but at least it can sometimes help you to gain some new perspective on your circumstances and to feel grateful for what it is that you do have. Both of those behaviors require you to actually recognize or acknowledge what's happening. They yeah. both require you to feel, you know, which goes back to my, one of my favorite sayings is the name it to tame it. Yeah. You have to name the feeling. Yeah. And you know, Dr. Edie was amazing. She said, I can't remember if it was in the actual interview that aired or it was in our longer conversation because the pieces are edited. But she was talking about that actually her clients, her she's a psychologist, that her patients have guilt about sharing because they know of her personal story. Mm-hmm. And they said to her, you know, the example she gave was somebody said, oh, but, oh, but Dr. Edie, I was just... I just dealt with sexual abuse or sexual assault. You you survived the Holocaust. And she said her answer was, at least I knew who the enemy was. You didn't. Mm. And so she immediately sort of went to help them experience, feel, and heal from, from their traumatic event and the thing, you know, the wound, the past wound that they were working through. So she clearly... I mean, she needs to have some sort of fabulous cape because the woman just... <laughs> she does. She's um, And there's something just to be revered about someone at that age. I think yeah. I'm, there's something to me that's magical about that almost, that she has been on this earth and witnessed so much. The Holocaust, sadly, being the one that, that she's become known for, but has just lived such a full, rich, and long life and that she's 
just very, you know, energetic and articulate and wise and smart and able to really distill and break down life lessons is really cool. Yeah. I had a friend who said, um, she's a treasure. It's like, yes, she is. She, She is a treasure. All right. So our call to action for this week, what do you think it should be, Christy? Uh, let's see. Find a way to use humor when you're feeling down because I feel like Dr. Edie was good at weaving in some moments of humor and levity. That's one. Or the other is just when you notice you're feeling something, take note of it. Don't push it down. Don't diminish it. Notice it and see what, what happens for you. Yeah. I do feel, you know, a part of the story, she just created this very big and beautiful, impactful life that, you know, continues to this day and to reaching the podcast and our listeners. So it's all really, really good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, a big call to action this week is follow Dr. Edie on Instagram. She is Dr. Dr. Edith Eager. It's E-G-E-R on Instagram. And yes, Follow Dr. Edie. She will not disappoint. No. You'll be so glad you did. You'll be so glad you did. All right, everyone. Thank you for making the time to listen and take care of yourselves and one another. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.